I want it known throughout the land that this is not only a critical and essential industry, but it is one that actually does a heck of a lot of good. My name is Merrill Dubrow, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35-year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world sharing their insights, strategies, and personal experiences. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough, pointed questions with real, insightful, and emotional answers. Today's guest is Simon Chadwick. Managing partner at Cambiar Consulting, Simon, welcome to the On The Mark podcast. Thank you, Meryl. It's a delight to be here. All right. Lots to get to, lots to cover, and a lot going on in the world here. But you know what? We're going to start with something different, Simon. Give me something that most people would be surprised to know about you. Oh, wow. Now, that is a a left field uh, question. Most people would not know that my first job was as a teacher in Kenya. Wow, that's great. How long did you do that for? Just about a year. Um, Wow. Three months of which, because they had very long school holidays, uh, three months of which I spent supposedly motorcycling around uh, East Africa. Um, But uh, my motorbike broke down in the Rift Valley, so I spent the rest of the time hitchhiking from... Kenya to Uganda to Tanzania, up the coast and back again. Wow, that's fascinating. That's that's unbelievable. Did you always want to be a teacher? No, no. It was um, uh, it it was something that I fell into that uh, you know just felt right. I was teaching at a school uh, for orphans, and um, you know it was uh, it was just an opportunity that came along that that. I decided to do. Wow, that is that is amazing. So your career, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Everybody has nicknames. I I, I almost want to give you the nickname Mr. Research, right? <laughs> you know, I know Tom Selleck way back in the day was Mr. Baseball, but I, but I almost want to say Mr. Research and now probably Mr. Insight um, over time it changed because, you know, you've been you know, you're so well known in the industry. Simon, you've been in the industry for north of now 40 years, right? Yeah, that is right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a long time. So let's, let's, is this the hardest with COVID-19, with this, this pandemic? And I know we're still dealing with this. Is this the hardest time for business over your 40 years? I would have to say that it probably is. I mean, I've been through a number of recessions. Um, the, you know, there was a doozy of a recession in 82 and another one in 92 and 2001. And then, of course, the Great Recession. Um, and in all of those, yeah, there was a drop off in business, but nothing like this where, you know, you couldn't see where the end was where so many people were being laid off. I mean, this is uh, catastrophic. And at the same time, it's been interesting because you look around yourself and you see people um, reacting, some of them very fast, very intelligently, Um, others perhaps a little less so. But I've been really impressed with the way in which both clients and agencies alike have... um, have responded to this, but it is the toughest year. 
So let's make you and I newspaper men. Uh-huh. All right, congratulations. We own the um, the Cambiar Gazette, <laughs> and it is um, it is it is a publication of seventeen million. I don't know. What? Give me two headlines. Give us. Give me a couple headlines from today in the insights industry. Insights more important than ever before. Okay. Resilience goes with intelligence and agility. Nice. Nice. Wow. Okay. That's great. So I know that you, you mentor a lot of people, a lot of folks come to you for advice. Um, and certainly your company, I know you guys consult with a lot of companies. What is some of the, the must have advice that you give to executives today to get, to get to the other side of this? So uh, there are a couple of core things, I think. One, um, one really has to do with leadership and what constitutes leadership in a crisis like this. And we, we have a framework, because all consultants have frameworks, don't they, of the things that people should be doing, should be thinking about, should, how they should be acting. At, but at the base of that is... The, the number one thing, understand what your core values are and do not depart from them. That is really important uh, because if you lose sight of the things that really primarily motivate you, then nobody is really going to believe that you know what you're doing and you yourself are not going to be able to act uh, in a cohesive manner. The second area, I think, is how to distinguish between strategy and tactics and how to read what is going on. This is particularly true for research suppliers, but I think has validity for clients as well. So work out looking at things like industry sectors that you're involved in, uh, modes of research that you rely on most, the uses to which your research are put, and work out which of those have been damaged and which are actually you know, generally speaking, and which are perhaps benefiting from this crisis, and then work out what you think is a permanent change and what you think is an impermanent change. If you're looking at the impermanent changes and you're looking at stuff that's, you know, gone down, like, you know, for example, communications testing, but you say to yourself, it's going to be back. Okay, well, that's where you bring tactics in. You, you basically reallocate resources to stuff that perhaps you know you can you can make a living from during this time uh, with the idea that you'll go back to it but if you think things are permanently changing um if you see either opportunities that you think are going to be permanent or you see uh, real damage that you think is going to be permanent then that's the basis for for strategic decisions you know, if you see damage and you think it's permanent, then get out of that business. But if you see stuff that's going on that is really growing and you think that's permanent, that's where you invest. And that sort of framework, I think, helps people calm down a little, take a few breaths, and start to work out where they are and what they ought to do about it. No, that's good advice. Can you give me one thing that's that's permanently changing from your your eyes? From where you're sitting today, one thing. I believe that we will see uh, digital qualitative 
um, being far more important coming out of this and remaining so. It's interesting. I was talking to a CEO the other day, um, and this is in a wider context, and he said, I just realized that 80% of the business travel we do is useless, and we're not going back to that. And I think that is also going to be the case for a lot of in-person in-person work. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. The savings that a lot of companies are having, including our own, Simon, is staggering in terms of travel, hotels, car rentals. It's just ridiculous. It's it's absolutely staggering. Um, Let me ask you a question. I'm a nice guy and I'm going to buy you a beer. Thank you. At the next conference. In, in, yep, you're welcome. And maybe two, maybe even two or three. Mm-hmm. Or a scotch, whatever you want to drink. I'm going to buy that drink for you at the next time. We, You and I are going to be at the next conference in person, and I will buy that drink. Whatever the next conference is, wherever it is, doesn't matter. Is that going to be in 2020 or your belief not until 2021? I don't believe it's going to be until 2021. Um the the reason being even if uh even if the virus you know dies away say during the summer i think the uh people who put on events uh, are going to be very leery about committing funds to you know hotel contracts and things like that and i think people themselves are going to be very leery about mingling um together uh, in large crowds until well after the last signs of the virus is gone. And that's that's putting aside any thought of a second spike in the fall. Oh, which I think is I think is definitely going to happen. That's my concern. My concern is not today. It's not next week. It's not next month. Mm. I think this thing comes back with a vengeance. And then what do we do? And that's where I'm getting a little scared, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, I agree with you. And I've always had that position from day one. I don't think we're past this until a vaccine. I don't think we'll get a vaccine until April of next year at the earliest. I think we got a problem. And I think that um, it'll be interesting to see how all the countries handle this. Yeah, I mean, we're getting a a little bit of a, a an experiment going on right now with the reopenings that are happening, you know, throughout this country and and around the world. And I think we're going to see some pretty quick and nasty results. No, I I totally agree. Hey, Simon, let me switch gears a little bit. What was the toughest decision you ever had to make in your career? What's the toughest decision you ever had to make? I guess from a personal point of view, it was whether to go back to Italy when I was working in New York to... Uh, face trial for aggravated fraud and smuggling. Oh, wow. Yeah, that from a personal point of view. And the reason I chose to do it was that they had one of my top account executives when I was in Italy in jail and were threatening to throw away the key unless I came back to testify. Wow. I, I, it's a long story. And we'll, have, we'll tell it over that beer. Uh, I guess from the perspective of... Um, the business itself and people, probably the most tough decisions were when I was in New York and we were trying to turn around uh, a very sick company and we had to let go of a lot of people all at once. 
um, I'm talking hundreds, knowing, you know, the damage that I was doing to their families and so on. Um, it was unavoidable, and we tried to do it in the best way possible, but there is no best way, really, when you come down to it. I always hated having to do anything like that. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, totally agree with you. I mean, look, over over your career, I mean, wow, you've had some you've had some big time positions. You've been president CEO of, you know, obviously Research International and Peanut Labs. I mean, obviously you you started Cambiar a bunch of years ago, about 16 years ago, right? Was it because I think it was the same year that I took over at Mark. Yeah, which is two, interesting. 2004. Which, yeah, which was which was the year that I knew I could move out of Boston because the Red Sox won their first champion World Series in a long time. <laughs> um, but 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 t- tell me about you know I I like I know I've changed as a leader over the last few decades. How has Simon Chadwick changed as a leader when he was thirty five years old versus today? How have you changed? Well, I often say that. If I had known then what I know now, I'd have been a damn sight better leader. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I know that's just in terms, you know, of not only uh, leadership, but also how, uh, how the markets work, how clients work. One of the things I realize these days is running all these agencies, uh, and some of them were very, very large, I really didn't have a clue about how clients worked. I didn't have a clue about what would, you know, what a client's day was like and the pressures and stresses that they were under. And today when, you know, 40, 50% of our work is with corporate clients and I have such a better understanding of what goes on. And I think, you know, had any CEO of a research company should kind of spend time doing that, understanding what is going on with their clients, because otherwise you are not really going to be able to serve them to the absolute best of your ability. If I gave you a do-over, actually, I'm going to give you two do-overs in your career. Would one have been to work on the client side, Simon? Probably not. Okay. All right. Okay. The the reason being, Meryl, that, you know, I enjoyed the agency side far too much, really. Um, And, you know, when I was a practicing researcher, um, I I just adored getting into an array of different issues and problems and so on and working across industries. That was the, the spice of life. I think... I would have probably paid much more attention. But what if I did give you that do-over today? And I'm, 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 uh, I've got this magic wand, and I can give you a do-over. You get to move to the right instead of the left. You get to go make a decision that that you know you kind of regret over the years. What do-over? You know, is there anything that jumps out? Uh, this is going to sound really strange, Meryl, um, but uh, I would probably have made a different decision in 1993 than I did uh, when I was offered the post of global CEO of Research International. 
And at that time, I turned it down because I was still young and I had formed the opinion in my own brain that uh, I wasn't yet ready. I think potentially, I don't know whether I was right or wrong on that, but um, I, one of the greatest regrets of my life is that uh, Research International no longer exists. You know, it's the remnants of it are buried deep inside Kantar. You would not believe, Meryl, the community that exists of RI alums around the world. You know, Facebook pages, its own newsletter, lunches, get-togethers, people keeping in touch. That It was one of the, the research world's absolutely most amazing community of people. And I'm always sad that it disappeared. So if I had a do-over, I'm may have made that decision Good differently. Good for you. Good for you. And that's almost, that's, you know, that's almost 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, so let me take you back to when the Red Sox were winning their first World Series in a long time, 2004. What was the motivation? Do you remember the motivation behind starting Cambiar? There were two. Um, the positive one was that Jay Wilson, who you will remember. Great guy. Great amazing guy. guy. And we were looking at the speed of change at that time in the industry. And we recognized that so many of our peers um, were having a hard time adapting to change. It sounds really quaint now, given how fast things are changing nowadays. Um, and so we thought that there probably could be a, um, uh, an opening for a consulting company of this type. And it was one of those decisions that, um, was pretty much made spur of the moment. We were having dinner in a New York restaurant, and uh, he turned to me and he said, if we were to do this, how much startup capital do you think we'd need? And I said, I think we'd need 150000 And he took out his checkbook and he wrote a check for 75000 right there and then. I'm sure you know better than most that he was a diehard Yankee fan, and, and as you know, Growing up in Boston, yeah. I am a diehard Red Sox fan. And what you probably don't know is Jay and I had a standing bet every year. Whoever went further in the playoffs would write a $5 check oh, um, to the other person. Yeah. And in 2004, he wrote a check to me for $5 since we won the World Series. A check I not only have, never cashed, still have in my office, Simon. Still have the check in my office oh, as a remembrance. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, you know, he was a special guy. You know, Jay was – I didn't really know him, obviously, as well as you did. But Jay was a guy, when I would see him at conference assignments, he always had time for everybody. Yeah. He was just – he loved to impart information. He loved to share his experiences. I found him to be a delight an intelligent individual, and really a pleasure to be around. He was, and uh, he he had an, an amazing sense of humor. Um, when we sold uh, NOP, he bet the number two in our parent company that the company would go, I think he bet that it would go for uh, something like 700, you know, it would be $700 million or less. The other guy bet that it would be more. So 
they roast that out on a piece of paper in a restaurant. They put it in an envelope and they ask the maitre d' to put it in the safe. Wow. <laughs> well, the company sold for $730 million, so Jay had lost the bet. But Jay snuck, snuck into the restaurant, got the letter out of the safe, changed the numbers, resealed it, and put it back in the safe. And that was, the, you know, that was his sense of humor. He, he, he confessed in the end, but, you know, uh, that was just his way of, uh, of messing with people's brains. That is great. That is really, really, it's a special story about a special guy. It really is. And thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, hey, do me a favor. Talk to me about, I mean, you've had just an illustrious career. What are you most proud of? When you look back at 40 plus years, what's the, is there one thing that you're most proud of? It is a, a theme, I guess, which is that if I was able to turn around a company, really motivate its people, bring together a great management team, and as I'm sure you know more than others, you know, it's all about the team you put around you. I would really, really you know, I, I was so proud and, and actually so grateful uh, when we managed to do that. And we did, I did it in Italy and I did it with Winona Group and with a couple of others. Just seeing a group of people get confidence in themselves and really start to motor uh, and do great things, that was always my sort of compensation, if you like. We're going we're gonna to end with this. I called you Mr. Research, Mr. Insight a few minutes ago at the beginning of this podcast, but now you are the grand poobah of the insights world, mm. all right? So you get to change two things that everybody in the insights and the research world have to follow. What are the two things that you would change without question that everybody had to follow? Okay, number one, I'm still hearing too many real horror stories about bad sample. And I'm not pointing fingers here at any particular sample company or digital company, but there are stories abounding of what amounts to, frankly, fraud. And I would like to see those just snuffed out completely because it, it really goes to the basis of our industry and it's a cancer. So that's one thing. That's my grumpy No, that's one. okay. That's a good one. Okay. Uh, what I would really like to see is a culture of uh, confidence in demonstrating and shouting from the rooftops how damned valuable this industry, this profession is. Um, Work that we've done shows that the average uh, ROI on research, just average, is about 400%. Now, you show me an investment in a company or outside a company that can get you 400%. And sometimes it's you know astronomical, absolutely astronomical. I want it known throughout the land that this is not only a critical and essential industry, but it is one that actually does a heck of a lot of good, uh, not only in commerce, but also socially. Well said, Simon. Well said. I can't thank you enough for your time today. Thanks again for listening to Simon Chadwick. 
This is the On The Mark Podcast. My name is Merrill Dubrow. Have a great day.